Well, keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 6, and there is an outline inside the news sheet, or for those online, uh, you can find it on our website. Um, it's great that we can be here together, and uh, the purpose of us being together is to share in God's Word, as He speaks to us in His Word, and this is an awesome passage for us to be looking at together today. I want to start with the question of, what will we be doing, what will we spend our time doing in heaven? Have you ever asked yourself, that question. We have eternity, we have endless, limitless time, it will never run out. What will we be doing? And the Bible doesn't give us directly many specifics on the new creation, other than to tell us it will be perfect, it will be in the joyful presence of our perfect God, and it will last forever. But I want to suggest this morning that our passage from Luke 6 actually gives us a glimpse at two of the main things that we'll be doing in the new creation in heaven for eternity. First, everything we could need or want or enjoy or take delight in will be abundantly and freely available, provided by God. So we will spend our time enjoying effortlessly God's free provision of life and all the goodness of life, relationship, friendship, food, laughter, the wonder of creation. It's just going to be there forever. It will be there, given to us by our mighty God, and it will never run out. The second thing is, we will be doing good and being a blessing to others. Now, I know at first, that doesn't sound exactly like paradise. I like the first idea, everything just there for me. Uh, but actually, the greatest, most significant the most meaningful and soul-satisfying thing you can do is truly love others and be a blessing to them. That's what we'll be doing in the new creation. In God's eternal kingdom, nothing will get in the way of our being a blessing to others and loving them because we will be made new. We will be made whole. We will be healed. Sin won't get in the way anymore. Our tiredness, our moodiness, our selfishness, our crankiness, our grumpiness won't get in the way anymore. Our lack of understanding or our miscommunication or our just plain selfishness, it's all gone. And we'll be like Christ. We will have for eternity the privilege of being part of what makes eternity perfect for others. Now, the reason why I'm talking about heaven and the new creation when the passage is talking about the Sabbath day, is because that is what the Sabbath was always about. That's what the Sabbath was always pointing to. It's actually pointing to God's plan of the new creation and eternity. The word Sabbath means end or a ceasing or rest. And in the Bible, rest is so much bigger. It is so much more all-encompassing than a day off work or doing nothing. Now, right there at the beginning of the Bible, when God rests on the seventh day, he created the world in six days. And that rest on the seventh day is not so much that he's tired and he can't go on. He needs to take a breather. No, he calls that day rest because it's the day of fulfillment. It's the day of satisfaction and completion. It's the day he gets to enjoy what he has made. At the end of day six, he looks at everything he's made and says, it is very good. And then he rests and enjoys it all. The rest is actually what it was all about. He did all the creating to get to that rest. The work 
was always pointing to this completion, to the accomplishment of his good purpose. And so like that, we work in order to rest, not rest in order to work. You also see this big view of rest when God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt. They're under the oppression of being mistreated. They're under hand of terrible masters who abuse them and oppress them and kill them. When God rescues his people and brings them out, it says he takes them out of slavery to rest. The promised land, the land of freedom, was called a land of rest, the land of Sabbath. And he told Israel to remember this by having a rest day each week. Have a day to enjoy life. Have a day to take delight in and enjoy each other. Enjoy the result of effort and work. A day to remember salvation and look forward to, together, God's promises. That's what we should be thinking of when we hear Sabbath. When we hear this idea of rest. And so our passage begins, verse 1. On a Sabbath, Jesus passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. So they're walking through someone else's grain fields. They're picking the heads of grain, rubbing them together. So you get rid of the husk, you get rid of the outer parts. And what you're left with is the grain that you munch on. And so that's what they're doing. This is just food that's just there. They didn't have to do anything. They just reach out, grab the food available for them. Now, it is important to note that this isn't stealing. And it isn't even that thing that you do at Woolworths where you just try a grape. <laughs> and then the 37th grape you try, you start to wonder, is this really still trying anymore? I do remember having to talk to our son, William, uh, who would go up to... Uh, who would go up to the kids eat fruit baskets at Woolworths and uh, he was 18 and he's enormous and I had to say I don't think they mean you buddy <laughs> but the disciples aren't doing anything wrong they're not stealing in fact the law allows for this Deuteronomy 23 24 to 25 I love that reference Deuteronomy 23 24 to 25 says this when you enter your neighbor's vineyard you may eat as many grapes as you want until you are full, but do not put any in your container. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck heads of grain with your hand, but do not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. Sickle's kind of like a harvesting knife. See, God had put this into his law to allow for the fact that as a community, he wanted his people to share and to be generous, to understand that the whole world belongs to God but at the same time, to respect individual property. And that in itself is a picture of rest. God will provide your needs. You can just walk through the field and grab what you need. And if someone does walk through your field, God will take care of you. You can trust him. He will take care of you. When, when Israel were in the wilderness, they were fed by God with manna, with bread that came down from heaven every day. And he provided on the sixth day enough to feed them for the next day they had plenty they didn't have to collect anything on the seventh god had already provided and then when they entered the promised land god describes that place he says that's a land where you will live in houses you didn't have to build and you will eat from vineyards you didn't have to plant and you will bring in harvests you didn't have to work for that's sabbath rest and did you know Israel were actually told not just to have a rest day every week. They had a rest year 
Every seven years, they had a Sabbath year. No one worked the land. No one farmed. No one worked in the whole community. A whole year, they lived off what God provided for them. And in fact, the 49th year and the 50th year, two years in a row of no work, year of jubilee, just enjoyment, just community, just receiving God's provision. God will provide what we need. We live because God is the one who gives us life. And you see, that is what the Pharisees, that's what the religious leaders get wrong about the Sabbath. They think the Sabbath is about rules, limitations, restrictions. They think it's about what you can't do when it's actually about promise and fulfillment. It's about freedom and the future. And it's about real life. So verse 2, the Pharisees know that picking grain is not a problem. Did you notice? They don't accuse them of stealing. They accuse them of what is do, doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. They think they're breaking the Sabbath rules by working. They're walking along, grabbing something, rubbing it, eating it. Oh, that's work. Got you. As if that is work. Because have you noticed that humans are very, very good at keeping rules for other humans? Have you noticed that? People are extremely good at rule keeping for everyone else. We do it all the time on the road. We notice when they swerve lanes or they cut in or they didn't slow down. or they we notice everyone else's mistakes, don't we? People do it online. They love correcting other people's grammar. They call people out for call people, calling people out. They bully people for bullying people. We love it enforcing other rules. But this desire to enforce rules on others has kicked into extreme overdrive with COVID. COVID lockdowns have just given this instinct free reign. Look, there in the distance is a person without a mask. Got him. I feel so good about myself. They seem to be standing 1.4876 metres apart, not 1.5. Got them. They got Pfizer before they were eligible. They bought two rolls of paper. How dare they? We love rule keeping for others. And humans love spotting other people breaking the rules, quickly becoming a society of dobbers. But here's the thing. If a person takes pleasure in spotting other people breaking the rules, it says a lot about them. It actually says you don't care about the rules at all because you're perversely happy when they're broken. If you were really concerned about the rules and what is right and what is good, you'd be sad seeing them broken and want that never to happen. See, the Pharisees say they're worried about the Sabbath. The Pharisees say they're worried about God's honour. They're worried about the law. But what did they do? How did they spend their Sabbath day? Watching hoping, desperately longing for someone to break God's law so they could condemn him. That's not the Sabbath day. They don't love God. They don't love his law because it turns out they don't understand God or his law. This is Jesus' response to their accusation. You see it there in verse 3. Jesus answered them, haven't you read? Stop right there. That's almost the whole answer in three words, isn't it? You're accusing us of breaking the law. You're accusing us of getting the Sabbath wrong. But you haven't read God's law. You don't understand God's word. That's your problem. That is always the problem of Pharisees. They claim to serve God. They try to enforce God's rules. 
but they don't listen to God, they don't know God, and they don't read or understand his word. Haven't you read, he says? That's your problem. You need to read the Bible. You need to listen to God. You need to understand him and know him. And so Jesus goes on, haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God, took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Now, Jesus' response here is devastating them. He, he takes them to a time in the Old Testament when God's anointed chosen king was being chased all around the countryside by those in authority looking to bring him down and kill him. Sound familiar, he says to them? Remember that time? Haven't you read when God's chosen king, David, was persecuted and rejected and scorned by the authorities? And now the promised son of David has come and you do exactly the same thing. He's actually talking about a scene in 1 Samuel 21. Saul, King Saul, is trying to kill David. And David flees. And he and his men are hungry and he goes to the tabernacle and asks the priest for bread. And the priest offers them the bread that had been in God's presence inside the holy place in the tabernacle. This is bread that actually had just been removed from the presence of God and been replaced by warm, fresh bread. And it's bread that the priests only were meant to eat. But Ahimelech the priest gives it to David, gives it to his men, because they are consecrated to the Lord, it says. And David at the same time didn't have any weapons. So Ahimelech gives David Goliath's sword that happened to be there as well. And you know what? Afterwards, the sad reality is that King Saul hears about this and he has Ahimelech killed for standing up for David, for doing the right thing, for serving the rightful king. But notice Jesus isn't saying that necessity trumps the law. Jesus isn't saying in extreme circumstances, it's okay to break God's rules. No, it is never right to do what is wrong. It is never right to disregard God or disobey God. Jesus is saying the lawmaker commands the law. The king who makes the law makes the law. The point of Jesus is making here is that, and we see it again in verse 5, he's saying you need to understand who I am. Have a look at verse 5. Then he told them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. The son of man is Jesus' way of referring to himself. And he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I have the authority because I am the master. I am the king. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And remember by saying that, he's not saying I am the Lord of rules or I am the Lord of, of kind of regulations. He's saying I am the Lord of rest and enjoyment and provision and plenty. I am the Lord of peace and satisfaction. I am the Lord of salvation and blessing. All that the Sabbath stood for, I am the Lord of life. The Lord of heaven, the Lord of contentment and joyful satisfaction. That's what the Pharisees haven't understood. Because they haven't read, they haven't understood God's word. Then they haven't understood Jesus' identity and his authority. He is the Lord. Which brings us to the next scene in verse 6. We've seen the Pharisees' accusation. Now we see their anticipation in verse 6 and 7. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. They are watching him closely. 
It's the Sabbath. It's the day to rest and enjoy God's provision. It's the day to remember God's salvation. It's the day to look forward to God's eternal kingship. But instead, they're hoping, waiting, watching for Jesus to break one of their rules so they can condemn him. Notice it's they're looking for him to do something so they can find a charge against him. They don't have any charges against him. He hasn't done anything wrong, but they're trying to find it. This is what happens when rule-keeping goes wrong. See, a desire to do the right thing, a desire to submit to authority is good and is pleasing to God. But Pharisaic rule-keeping goes wrong when it doesn't touch the heart. It's just on the surface. It's superficial. It is all for show. It's all appearances. Rule-keeping goes wrong when it just gives you an opportunity to wait expectantly for others to fail. When you use it as a scorekeeping, a competition, compare myself to others. That's not rule-keeping. Rule-keeping goes wrong when we pick and choose which rules matter and when they matter. That's not rule-keeping. And rule-keeping especially goes wrong when it misses the point. When it misses the point. See, imagine you're at a lookout up in the Blue Mountains now that we're allowed to drive there. And there is uh, this beautiful view and it's, uh, it's a glorious day. And there is the fence there at the lookout to protect people from falling and hurting themselves. There's a sign there saying, don't go beyond the fence. And while you're there, someone jumps over the fence and is on the other side trying to take the perfect selfie to impress both of their followers on Instagram. <laughs> and so in an attempt to take the selfie, they trip and hurt themselves, they sprain their ankle, they graze their elbow, they're in a lot of pain. Now they're in an even more dangerous situation on the edge of the cliff. Would you simply watch and think to yourself, well, the sign says, I'm not allowed over that side of the fence, so I can't help you. Or would you take the time to point out to the person, just in between their moans, exactly what they did wrong? And if it's too dangerous and emergency services come, would you help them out by saying, sorry, you're not allowed over the fence. You can't go over there to help them. You have to leave them there. It's the rules. No, because the whole point of the fence and the whole point of the sign, the reason they are there is to keep people safe. You see how a Pharisee can turn a rule-keeping into the opposite of its purpose? The fence exists, the sign exists to save people. Jumping over to help that person and save them is the whole point. The whole reason it's there. But you see, the Pharisees prove they couldn't care less about God or his law, or his commandment to love their neighbor as themselves. They want Jesus to break the rules. That shows, doesn't it, what they think about God's rules. What they think about God's honor, and his pleasure, and God's will being done. They don't want it done. And they certainly don't care about this poor, powerless man, whose life is affected very deeply by his shriveled right hand. So what will Jesus do as they're watching him? Well, let's have a look at Jesus' response in verse 8. But he knew their thoughts. And he told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. See that? Jesus knows their thoughts. You can't fool Jesus. You can't put on a veneer of righteousness. You can't put on a surface of rule keeping. You can't put on all of these religious traditions and stuff, but in your heart not love God not love his word. He sees. He knows. That's the problem of outward religion. 
He knows our hearts. Jesus knows their thoughts. He knows they are trying to trap him. They are trying to catch him out. And he escapes their trap by springing it. Notice Jesus isn't in any way afraid. He gets the man to stand up with him in front of everyone. Jesus isn't thinking, well, you know, my reputation matters and I don't want to make a bit of a scene. He's like, oh no, come up here so everyone can see you, buddy. He's been teaching in the synagogue and here's an opportunity to keep teaching. So he asks the Pharisees a question, verse 9. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or do evil? To save life or destroy it? Now that is a great question, isn't it? It completely deflates the Pharisees. They've spent thousands of years trying to define what work is. How many steps can I take from my front door before it's work? How many pieces of clothing can I put on before it's work? How much food can I cook? Maybe raising my hand to wave to my friend is work. Can I open a door? Is that work? It's ridiculous. These are the questions they asked. And he undercuts it all with a simple question. It is such a great question. Is the Sabbath about doing good or doing evil? Is God's law about saving lives or destroying them? And that is a very pointy question, isn't it? When he knows their thoughts and he knows they are planning to destroy him and they want to kill him. And this very Sabbath, they're looking for an excuse to commit that evil. But there is no answer from the crowd. Because what could they say? If they say yes, the Sabbath is about doing good, then they agree with Jesus and approve of healing the man and admit he has the power to heal the man. And if they say, no, you shouldn't do good on the Sabbath, which is actually what they're thinking, then they're really saying the Sabbath is about evil and destroying lives. Just with a simple question, Jesus has totally cut through and revealed everything, hasn't he? And that's precisely what they're planning to do. Evil and destroy lives. They are caught out, so they say nothing. You know, Jesus' question reminds me of what Paul says to the Galatians about not being under the law because we are filled with God's Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 18, listen to this. But since you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You don't need external rules. You don't need things written on stone tablets because you have God's spirit living in your heart, living in your mind, leading you and guiding you. But a bit further down in Galatians 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law, says Paul. That's the new life of freedom we have as Christians. We don't focus on Pharisaic religious rule-keeping. We're filled with the spirit of the living God. We're filled with the spirit of the resurrected Jesus. We're guided by God's spirit, and he grows in us the fruit of these characteristics and virtues. And so Jesus demonstrates for all to see what Sabbath rest is really all about. In verse 10, after looking around at them, he told the man, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. Jesus heals the man instantly and makes him whole. Jesus brings goodness into this man's life. Jesus loves him and helps him and provides for him what he needs. And it wasn't just a slightly sore hand. It was shriveled up. It was a hand that was touched by death. 
A hand that was useless and powerless and lifeless. And Jesus makes it strong and full of life because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of rest and restoration because he came to save lives and to do good. He knows that this is what real Sabbath rest is about. But look at how the Pharisees react in verse 11. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. They are outraged. At what? He saved a guy. He loved a guy. He helped this guy, did good for him, changed his life. And he fulfilled God's law of love. But he broke their man-made rules. They don't have a clue what rest really means. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to enjoy salvation, rest for our souls, because our sins are forgiven. That's true rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, it tells us that the promise to enter his rest remains. The promise to enter eternal life, the promise to have a place in heaven, the promise to have a resurrection body that is made whole and complete and sinless in the new creation for eternity, that promise still stands. That's what real rest is. Salvation and eternal life filled with love and filled with God's provision and joy. And so I want to finish our time together by suggesting five very quick implications. It's a great passage. We get to see who Jesus is as the Lord of the Sabbath. Five quick implications. First, you should definitely enjoy a day off every week. Take two if you can get it. Remember, God can run the universe without you for a day or two. He's got this. He's okay. He can actually get it done without you and your awesome set of skills. So enjoy life. Take time to enjoy the good things God has provided and rest in order to look forward to eternity in heaven. Secondly, remember that rest is about so much more than doing nothing. We've just come out of three months of doing nothing, not being able to do anything. And we're all exhausted because it wasn't rest. That's what the Pharisees misunderstand. These rules of don't do this, don't do this, don't do no, Real rest is relationship, restoration, it's joy and it's fun. That's what we're looking forward to. Thirdly, remember, we live in the day of the Lord. Every day belongs to him. There are no special holy days. There are no special holy seasons. The New Testament is really clear on that. Every moment is dedicated to God. And he calls us to devote our whole lives to his service and the cause of the gospel. It's not as if there is one day that we give to God and the rest we give to something else. It's all God's. Fourthly, this is something people get wrong all the time about Christianity. Jesus is not the person you go to if you are a rule keeper. If you want to be a Pharisee, he will reject you. Jesus is the one to turn to when you know you are a rule breaker who needs forgiveness. You are broken and you need rest. We saw that last week, didn't we? He didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. And fifthly, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. 
Wherever he is, is a banquet and a celebration. Wherever he is, your needs are provided. Wherever he is, people are a blessing to each other and are filled with love and with a desire to see each other grow and be built up rather than tear each other down. Jesus is the Lord of perfect, soul-satisfying rest. So come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word to us that fills us and nourishes us and satisfies us. And Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, the Lord of life. Thank you for him healing this man. Thank you for the spiritual healing and the resurrection healing that we are promised. Please help us, Father, to understand you and know you and to be led by your Holy Spirit so that we will bear the fruit that brings you delight and pleasure. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.